This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Well, as you know, the United States has officially removed itself from the Paris Agreement. That was a deal signed by almost 200 countries, all committing voluntarily to reduce emissions. We're going to check in with a professor of political science at UBC, but take a listen first to this report out of Washington. Begin by saying that the president made a very courageous decision yesterday in behalf of America. EPA Chief Scott Pruitt, a leading voice in convincing President Trump to get out of the Paris Climate Accord, today defended him against worldwide condemnation. We have nothing to be apologetic about as a country. Other top White House officials hit the airwaves, making clear the president was focused not on the environment, but on jobs. We're putting the American worker, the American economy first. Because he promised to protect American jobs, American interests, American workers. It's a position that appears to have limited political downside. A CBS News poll found that when asked what is the single most important problem for the government this year, 13% volunteered that it's the economy and jobs. Just 2% said the environment and global warming. Former Secretary of State John Kerry negotiated the Paris Accord and said President Trump's decision was based on bad research. That's not a real study. That's an industry-based study by people who oppose climate change action and who have been among the leaders in, in, in the whole theory of a climate hoax, which, by the way, there is not one scientific fact that supports the notion in a peer-reviewed study that it's a hoax. The global warming and that, a lot of it's a hoax, it's a hoax. Pruitt was asked repeatedly today if the president still believes that position from the campaign trail. Yes or no, does the president believe that climate change is real and a threat? Does the president believe uh, today that climate change is a hoax? But he refused to give a direct answer. So did White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer. Does he still believe it's a hoax? Um, could you clarify that since apparently nobody else in the White House can? Yeah, I have not had an opportunity to have that discussion. Spicer also declined to explain exactly why the president did not simply invoke U.S. power under the Paris Agreement to change the U.S. greenhouse gas emission targets to make them less onerous on American businesses. That uh, report from CBS News. So we're joined now by Catherine Harrison, acting dean at the Faculty of Arts and the prof- professor of political science at UBC. Uh, Catherine Harrison, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, how do you respond to that uh, with the, the chief of the EPA defending this move, saying that the president of the United States has nothing to apologize for? It's incredibly sad, really, <laughs> to have the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency who is in many ways a lead scientist, who should be the person who is the cheerleader for um, U.S. moving forward in addressing climate change, um, not only supporting this decision, but being sort of the front person who comes out to defend um, defend the president and say that the U.S. has nothing to apologize for. I, I think they have a lot to apologize for. And do you think with pulling out of the deal and with the, the president of the U.S. saying that they may negotiate a better deal, the, one of the, the questions put to, to, um, to the, the chief of the EPA also was, uh, why not just change their targets if they feel that what, they, what the U.S. had agreed to was so unfair and would be punitive? Why not just change the targets and move forward that way? That's one of the very strange things about this, because the Paris Agreement is not... It's not a treaty. 
it is an agreement, and it's very different than international treaties in that it's bottom-up. Individual countries set their own targets. They're not bound by those targets. What they are bound by is a process where they will come together every few years, report back to each other on how they're doing, what kind of progress they're making, and rethink whether they can reset their targets to make them more ambitious. So it's a bit like a club where we all agree we're in this together. And so there's a tremendous amount of flexibility in that. Um, and, I try, you know, since <laughs> this week I've been trying to think, why, why is it so important for the U.S. in um, the Trump administration to withdraw from Paris? I mean, the obvious thing is he said he would, so he's going to do it. Um, I think it, it is very much speaking to his base uh, yet again uh, and, you know, in a way that underscores the denial of climate change reinforces the kind of messages that the, the president has given of America first. Anything that costs um, costs money to the American economy must be unfair um, and a bad idea. So I think it's symbolic, but it's symbolic in quite troubling ways. Uh, there, there have been a lot of questions uh, about this as well since uh, the U.S. pulled out of the agreement uh, about how effective they are. If we look back to uh, the Kyoto Accord, uh, there's a story out today about Metro Vancouver saying it's very unlikely that they will reach their 2020 target for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, so what is the point of having all of these uh, agreements and such in place if they're not binding and, and countries and governments can, can throw up their hands and say, well, we're, we're not going to do this? Well, I think in the first instance, the point is that climate change is a global problem, and the huge challenge is that no country on their own can solve the problem, and every single country is worried. If they act alone, they will make effort, invest money, but it will be futile if they don't have partners in it. So it's a collective action problem. Uh, I think we found with the Kyoto Protocol that moving forward with only the industrialized countries committed didn't work, and that was a big reason why the U.S. pulled out of that agreement, and that undermined Canada's resolve at that time. I think the the way forward in Kyoto and the fact that it's flexible is is a little realism. It's recognizing that this is probably the best we can do, which is that the country's all acknowledging that we're in this together, that we have to take action together, and that we're going to take this one step at a time um, in withdrawing Mr. Trump is is essentially saying that the U.S. isn't even going to take this first step. Uh, so what do you say to the reaction that, to that uh, from many of, of the mayors and, and local governments and, and some states as well, saying that's fine, he's, he's withdrawn from the agreement, we are still going to go forward and, and have these targets as goals? It's heartening and it's not surprising because during the, the Bush administration when the U.S. had pulled out of the Kyoto Protocol, it was state governments and cities that led the charge. Um, California, in particular, has been a real innovator. And because it's such a big state, California's actions um, reinforce the commitment. They give reassurance to other states that you know they won't be acting alone. The problem is that, to date, not all the states have been acting. It's been the... Um, the more liberal states, for the most part, it's been the states that are le- have less greenhouse gas intensive economies that have, have been signing on to act on their own. Um, it's not Wyoming, it's California. So it's fantastic news that those states are going to forge ahead. Um, 
And one of the big questions for Canada, <coughs> excuse me, is whether California will be allowed by the Trump EPA to forge ahead in setting their own tailpipe emission standards, as has happened in the past. And that may provide a path forward for Canada to continue to tighten our motor vehicle regulations as well. Uh, and do you think, will it have um, other implications on Canada as well, or would that be one of the biggest ones? I think, I think the implications are subtle and they'll play out over time. Um, in 2001, when President Bush withdrew from the Kyoto Protocol, it really increased the political pushback within Canada. Uh, the many provincial governments started opposing uh, the federal government ratifying the p- protocol. The business community really rallied. It took out full-page ads threatening that there would be a loss of 450,000 jobs, really exaggerated claims. And although Canada did ratify, we then didn't implement our... We, we didn't go very far. We didn't really do the things we said we would do. I do think the situation is different now in that there are more provinces that have already committed, and it's critical that Ontario and Quebec, the two most populous ones, are on board and trading with California. But it is true that the Canadian and U.S. economies are really tightly integrated. And so if the U.S., our major trading partner, is not taking actions to regulate greenhouse gas emissions, to establish a price in carbon, to regulate uh, continually strict um, establish stricter standards for the motor vehicle industry, it makes it all a little bit harder for Canada. It increases political pressure from certain sectors who will argue that they face competitive uh, disadvantages relative to their their counterparts in the U.S. All right, uh, Catherine, we'll have to leave it there, but I appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.